This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting- Mike on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, good morning, everybody. Hi, hello. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports application, all the podcast platforms out there as well. Yes, it's a formal Friday. Formal means something a little different for everybody, and we got a chance to see that yesterday at Mike McDonald's opening press conference. Uh, You may not be surprised to know that a huge portion of today's show will be dedicated to reacting to what we saw and heard yesterday from the Seahawks new coach. We'll throw a couple other things in there, including Jed fish who is going to join us. New Husky coach joins us at 8 AM. So two hours from now, we will talk to Jed fish and uh, you know, it's Friday. So we'll have some open phone lines. We'll have some G Scott. We got, you know, sort of all of the usual things that you would normally expect on a Friday. And uh, yes, I'm realizing, you know, you have a puppy at home when you walk into a room, room see some like carpet threading kind of balled up in a corner and assume someone has pooped you're like oh <laughs> somebody pooped in the st- oh no it's just carpeting balled up uh, okay phew uh, everything's good she didn't poop everything's fine yeah i thought you're gonna say she had pulled up some carpeting no she does that too thing. Yeah. yeah we had to take a, a rug we have like a sisal rug you know what that is nope it's i didn't either it's like a like a hard it's almost like hard straw, but not, I don't know. You'd have to look it up. It's like called sisal. Yeah, it's okay. woven, like a hard beige woven mat. Okay. And uh, she likes chewing on that sucker. So, ah. yeah, we had to move that one outside so that she doesn't ruin it. Uh, I noticed that for Formal Friday, you are also in a hoodie. Yeah, I thought I would go hoodie. Yeah, I thought I would just uh, oh. as a little homage. I'm wearing cargo pants. To what we saw yesterday. Uh, yeah, that is formal for, you know, an older man, I think. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Justin pants. has one of his formal caps on yeah, today, which is my, nice. My Mariner chore cap. coat and, uh, and red wings on. Yeah. You guys could have thrown formal. a blazer over it like Mike McDonald. I, That's I, I don't have to. a blazer large enough to fit over the hoodies that I have. So. Mora is referencing perhaps the most obvious thing that was on display yesterday, which was Coach McDonald's wardrobe. You couldn't help but notice it, right? Brock said it was a hipster thing. I don't think that's hipster. I don't think Brock knows what all. that means. No, I don't so think so. So I would so just either. sort of move Same. on from yeah. that. Like, he didn't have glasses. Like, no, Brock, that's not the right word. It was hip, it wasn't hipster. If that makes any sense, and I don't exactly what I said. I don't know if hip is a word that people use anymore, but I I think it would describe it more so than calling him hipster. You couldn't help but notice it. Look, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. It was weird being in there yesterday. It was the first time I've been in the building since uh, since Pete left. It was weird. Huh? Yeah. It was definitely a little strange. And you've gone through a lot of. Mariners managerial changes and it was yeah but none of them had been here for so long right like or done anything right anything I'll say at this point Scott's now been here so long that when if and when Scott eventually moves on if we're lucky enough to still be on the air that'll be weird like he's he's sort of been there for such a long period of time and even then it's nowhere close to Pete Pete's been here almost the entirety of my career in Seattle I mean there was one year with Jim Mora which is uh, you know such a blur I had just moved here it was weird. That felt like Pete's building for so long, right? And the fact that, you know, when he was you know, not there yesterday, it, it seemed a little odd. The basketball hoop, the basketball for those hoop. wondering, was still up, still there, bolted to the floor. Yeah. I wonder whether it will still be here when it's all said and done, um, but it's still there now. 
But that was about the only reminder of Pete to be seen anywhere. Yesterday felt like an orchestrated attempt to show that they were moving on. And I'm sure that no one in the Seahawks organization chose his hoodie for him in order to clearly demonstrate that they had gone from the oldest coach in the league to the youngest anymore. So I didn't notice this, but I saw Condota wrote about his uh, Jordan sneakers that he had on. Maybe it was, it was actually maybe, Mike Farrell. Who was, was it? Mike Farrell. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, either way, I didn't, I didn't notice that. I did notice the hoodie. And you couldn't help it. it. It's not a hoodie like the one I'm wearing. I'm wearing a thick hoodie for my kid's school that I got. Mm-hmm. He's he's he was wearing like like it was like a nice high quality stretchy material. Probably, probably a Lulu hoodie. For it looked honest. it looked if, if it I wasn't Lulu, it was sort of of that ilk. Yeah, it was of exactly that. Exactly how I thought we were going to start the show today. <laughs> Talking about his fashion, An- no, analyzing dressing. Yeah. Here's why. It, it 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 hammered home the point. You you couldn't help but think, man, they have really made an effort to move on from Pete Carroll to somebody else. They could have had Dan Quinn. He said yesterday he's never met Pete. Right? I mean, like that is they they without changing the culture, which was Jody's, you know, one thing she kind of put on them, one charge, it feels like they changed almost everything else. Yeah, he's also a defensive coach. <clears throat> In that regard, there's some similarity. But that seemed to be about where the similarities ended. In almost every other way, he felt different. <clears throat> and the youth thing was a big part of it. And his attention to detail, the intensity. He's not boisterous like Pete. He's not. He doesn't fill up a room with words like Pete does. But he was very intense. He was very commanding. I'll go through a lot of that with you guys here at 630. I'll kind of take you through a lot of what he had to say and react to it because it was powerful in the moment being there. But I guess the biggest thing I would say is I felt better about the hire walking out of the building than I did walking in. Good. Okay. And yesterday was a little hard for me. I'm not against the idea of Mike McDonald, although at times it may sound that way. I was a little skeptical, healthily skeptical about the idea of Mike McDonald, not because of anything he had done or not done, only because I felt like there was a lot of unknown there for us, not necessarily for John or Jody or anybody doing the hiring, but for us, for those of us who hadn't had a chance to meet him or know much more about him than what his resume said. For all of us here in Seattle, I felt like we were all taking a big giant leap without getting all of the information that we needed to jump. And after yesterday, we still don't have all of that information. We're going to have to watch him and see how he interacts with his players and the staff and the, you know, in the in-game manager. There's a million things he still has to show everybody. But number one on my list was, could he command a room? And he does. Flat out commanded the room yesterday. At 36 years old, for him to be as comfortable in his skin, as confident in the way he spoke, was hugely impressive. Enormously impressive. Well, especially because we did have Jameson Hensley, the ESPN Ravens reporter, Mm -hmm. on last week. And he thought he was so quiet and introverted, he kind of questioned how he was going to handle that. He handled it really well. Differently than Pete. I mean, like 180 degrees different. But 
but well. There was no word salad. There was no just, you know, sort of almost overwhelming the audience with words. It was calm, assertive, quiet, very intense. And I, I wrote about this last night at CLSports.com. I think I said, whereas Pete filled up a room with words, he drew you in by almost by not speaking at times, right? Where the power was almost in what he didn't say as opposed to in how much he said. I, I was affected by it. I thought it was great. I thought he did a heck of a job yesterday. I thought given the challenges of trying to fill the shoes and you couldn't help but feel Pete's presence there a little bit, I thought he did a heck of a job. And I will say that today I feel a whole lot better than I did yesterday. Let's see uh, what some of you guys are saying to my uh, reaction. Mike, what are you talking about? Okay. It's great. It's really nice. Uh, Salk, when you feel old because McDonald is younger than you, just consider that Dave and Bob are both old enough to be his dad. Oh, wow. A little perspective. That's true. Yeah, this is, this is somebody that I could. I think Bob's old enough to be his grandfather. From, a, from an age standpoint, this is somebody I would have gone to high school with. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Is that tough for you? NFL coach. Yeah, sorry about that. That's uh that's sort of the new that's sort of the new reality Ugh. for you. Uh and Salk, it's a good thing you're not in charge of the Seahawks decision making. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Wait, well, can we give a moment to the most important thing that yes, happened? Yes, I did notice this and I assumed Mora that you would be ready to pounce well, on this. Someone texted in about it and they wondered if maybe okay. he heard me. Let me hear it. This is John Schneider. Tracy and I picked stuff and Mike up at the airport and had a great evening when, like Mo says, we chopped it up a little bit. Chopping it up. You and Mo. At you like, and Mo Kelly both say chopping it up. <laughs> two hours after the show, and that gets... Here's the, here's the thing. Fast. John didn't sound any more comfortable saying it than you oh did. My both of you sounded uncomfortable using that phraseology. Thanks. I'm just going to go ahead and, just yeah, go ahead and say it. it. All right, let's come right back, give you guys everything you need to know, and lots of sound from the new coach of the Seattle Seahawks next. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, after being around Mike McDonald for, what, a half hour, 45 minutes yesterday, it's pretty easy to see what John Schneider and others have liked about him and why he is the new coach of the Seahawks. He was authentic. He was impressive in his first public meeting yesterday, showed off an intensity and a clarity that I think will serve him very well here in Seattle. And there's no, there's going to be no secrets secret thing of you know scheme or secret plays that are going to get us there faster it's going to take a lot of hard work by finding the right people and doing it the right way treating people the right way building everybody up throughout the building i want everybody to feel like they're a part of this mission and it's going to take all we got one day at a time and it's that simple it's one conversation at a time it's one relationship at a time I like that phrase, and Justin, you pointed out last night in the email that there were no slogans or anything like that last night. It's true. He didn't. But that one was probably about as close as as he came, right? It's going to take everybody all the time, working hard, all of that, and kind of bringing it together. I thought that was uh, really nicely put. He's very succinct. He is very direct about what he's having to say or what he wants to say. And, uh, yeah, I definitely came away very, very impressed by him. Uh, and I think he was impressed by the situation. This is a humbling, humbling feeling that I'm feeling right now in, in front of everybody. And I want to, especially everybody in the organization in the back, it's, uh, this is pretty cool. Just, it feels like we're in this thing together, you know? And um, 
And this is a responsibility that my wife and I, we take, we take extremely seriously. Yeah, so who was in the back? Who was he talking about? All of the administrative staff that makes that building go. They all gathered for that meeting as well. Their first chance to really get to see him. He said yesterday he'd already basically just been working with John. He didn't know where the indoor facility was. He didn't know where the locker room was. He hadn't seen any of that stuff. He'd been in John's office just trying to figure out who his assistant coaches are going to be, etc. So I, uh, I I really was struck by his immediate ability to connect to the entire room and say, we're in this together. The biggest question mark about Mike McDonald will be, how does he lead an entire building? And he, I thought he took some serious steps yesterday to show that he's very capable of doing that. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, there's still obviously a ton to do. He mentioned some of uh, what he's been up to already, but you would think finding and hiring an offensive coordinator is going to be at the top of that list. We started to hear some names trickle out yesterday. One very familiar, former UWOC Ryan Ryan Grubb, uh, who recently moved to Alabama with Kalen DeBoer. Um, That is interesting to me because when I think of Grubb, I think of a wide-open passing attack, right? They didn't run the ball for a huge portion of the year. It seemed very, very different from what Baltimore has been known for over the last few years. So that's curious. Also heard the name Tanner Engstrand, who sounds like he should be playing hockey, but is actually the quarterback coach in Detroit. So uh, those are the first two names to come out. What is he looking for in an offensive coordinator? Here's a coach. Uh, it's not near the top of the list. We're looking for the right the right person to come in here and, and build this thing. So we want someone that's open minded, that has a growth, a growth mindset that can connect with their players and uh, and build build a system you know that's that's unique to the Seattle Seahawks that's going to live here for a long time and he's going to be the one spearheading it. Well, Brock always says when coaches repeat themselves, make sure you listen because this came later on with Bump and Stacy. You have to have high character and men and women with integrity. I want to see a track record of being able to connect with your players and a growth mindset of hey, this is why we did some things, efficiency in how they teach and things that make sense. So in our systems, we're going to be able to get to a lot of different things. And in order to do that, you have to be incredibly clear. And so when I'm listening to how they do things, I want clarity on what they're asking from their players and, and, how, they've, and how they've gone about their business. Yeah, twice he mentioned a growth mindset in there. I would assume that that's something that's going to be very important to him as he goes through this hiring process. Here's the third thing you need to know. Other news after an offseason in which we wondered if the Mariners would match up with the Orioles, given that one team had a lot of young bats and a need for arms, the other has the opposite. We can put all that to bed. The Orioles traded yesterday for Milwaukee ace Corbin Burns. Gave up a package centered on infielder Joey Ortiz, who's good, but not thought of maybe on quite the same level as some of their best young hitters. But, sheesh, Baltimore is going to be nasty. Their payroll, by the way, under $100 million. They just got sold earlier this week, but they might be the best team in the American League as of today. As for the Mariners, John Morosi on yesterday with Wyman and Bob actually really likes where they're at. Well, I think the gap is about where it was at this time last year and, and about where it was when, when the season ended, which was close and a few games one way or the other away from, from being in the dance. It all aligned for Texas really well. Uh, now, Corey Seager, as you may have seen this week, he's going to have he had core muscle surgery on a sports hernia. He may not be good to go for opening day. All that's a way of saying for Seattle to win this division, and you think about Houston as well, they need to get off to a good start because Texas is going to get 
better, I believe, the more they play into the season. And so Seattle's opportunity is early. Yeah, it's a really good point that John makes, and uh, it's been something they've struggled with. Hopefully their new offensive coordinator is going to help them score some more runs in April and May. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Uh, did you catch the one little uh, extra word that he threw in there and talking about types of coaches that he was going to be looking for? I'm looking for men and women that would <laughs> fill. And then he went through all of the various qualities that he's yeah. looking for. That jumped out to me. I heard it yesterday. I was driving back uh, from the building, from the presser, and uh, listening to Bump and Stacy, who, by the way, did a phenomenal job with that interview. I thought they were great and really kind of brought him to life. Kudos to them. And we'll play some more sound from their interview in addition to what he had to say. But I thought Stacy and Bump did a really nice job of kind of, you know, this is what he's already said just a few minutes ago. Let me get some different things onto the table. I thought they they really handled it really well. Um, but that jumped out to me. I wonder whether we will. And that maybe does have something to do with youth and a generational difference. Not that Pete was in any way old fashioned when it came to that. I mean, Pete, I think in, in many ways embodied the spirit of looking all over the place and being open to new ideas with who could be a coach in his system. But that jumped out to me yesterday they when I heard it. brought in Amanda Ruller as, yep. the, as the coaching intern. But, yeah, there are a lot of actual full-time coaches that are on NFL staffs right now that are women. Um, they're not in the higher positions. Hopefully they're going to get there at some point. But um, it's, not that, it's not that far-fetched anymore, which is nice. Well, and I wonder if some of that has to do with his background. He said a couple times that his uh, two older sisters were his great heroes and mentors who he looked up to and talked about his dad and his mom. I am excited to learn a little bit more about him as a human being, about growing up, about going to, you know from Boston to Georgia to where he went. Like, it sounds like kind of an interesting road. And you end up with a guy who seems very, very serious. He claimed yesterday that there's a sense of humor in there. You just don't always get a chance to see it. We'll see. <laughs> he, he said something like, oh, I got a funny story for you guys about how I came in and started working. I was like, that's not a funny story at all, Mike. But we'll, <laughs> we're going to work on we're that. We're going to work on the word funny. <laughs> we're going to work on our definition of funny as we kind of go through it. But uh, as I've said a few times, he was super impressive yesterday. Let me take you some of, through some of the biggest things he had to say. We'll do that together next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, yesterday we got a chance to meet Mike McDonald. He's a new head coach of the Seahawks. I wrote about him at seattlesports.com. If you got a few minutes to go check that out, I hope you do. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an impressive performance. I started off the show telling you guys that Look, yesterday, I didn't want to be negative Nelly because there's no reason for me to be negative about this. And I didn't feel like he was a bad hire. I was just sort of, look, I'm a naturally skeptical person. That's who I am. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it to you. I naturally am suspicious. I'm naturally a little uh, uh, skeptical. And so when everyone in town seemed to immediately say, this is perfect, there's a part of me that just instantly resists. Oh, I'm not unlike the skeptical combined with the contrarian. contrarian. Yeah, there's there's some of that. Well, I, <laughs> I think you would find that the contrarian is more because of the skeptical. Sure. Honestly, that that's sort of where it comes from, that I, I just am naturally I just don't naturally believe stuff generally when I'm told. And I have that. Yeah, I do have that instinct sort of like Wendell did my old dog who when you were walking him on a leash and you said, okay, pulled him in one direction, would instantly jam on the brakes. Be like, no, 
I'll go that way, but not if you want me to. And so I, uh, I will decide. Yeah, I, I always sort of, you know, understood where Wendell was coming from in that regard. Um, by the way, Gertie, very different. She likes to walk, and uh, she's uh, off and running already on the leash, which is a huge difference. Oh, I'm no. going to laugh if you have a dog that likes long walks. Oh, no. Yeah, well, then that's my, not what you wanted. You know who's going to get to take a lot of long walks with my dogs and my kids? <laughs> oh, dog wants to go on a long walk. See ya. You guys are on that. No, sure. I like long walks actually, as long as it's not raining. Um, which it never is here. Uh, so, so I was yesterday not unhappy, not feeling like the Seahawks made a mistake, but a little surprised that everyone was so excited for what I kind of thought were maybe some of the wrong reasons. And after yesterday and after meeting him or not meeting him personally, but being there in the room with him and getting to know him with, with the entire group there. I have to tell you, he he was very impressive. He eased a lot of the, I don't even want to say concerns. That's not the right word. It's just questions, right? I had a lot of questions. I wasn't necessarily concerned. It's not like I was like, hey, I don't think he can lead people. It was, can he lead people? I'd like to know. And I got the sense yesterday, and obviously it's just, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. It's not like you can make a full scale judgment on who somebody is in just that amount of time. Certainly whatever he could possibly prove yesterday, I thought he did. I thought he did. Uh, so that was awesome. And I'm going to take you okay. through a whole bunch of the sound from yesterday. Uh, Salk better stop getting more to try and quit or Coach McDonald might scoop her up for his staff. It's a good point. Hey. He might. More, would I'm, you leave us to go work for Coach wrong. McDonald? I don't I don't think I'm qualified for that. Well, that's not yet. That's not, the, that's not the question. Maybe he needs uh, fantasy football advice. Yeah. You'd be his person. Sure. Uh, um, Salk, it's yeah, arrogance. Yeah, get out of here. I'm sorry. It just uh, it comes <laughs> yeah, from thinking you, you are the smartest person in the room. I usually am. I can't help it. I, it's not that I mean to. It's not that I think that way. It just happens. What do you want? Oh, uh, I, I go on. Go huh? On. I was gonna, Well, I you're in a room by yourself right now. So I as I say, said, smartest guy smart? in this Wait, room. We're in a separate room. Who's smarter than me in here? You guys are in that room. I'm over here. I can't help but be the smartest guy in this room. You said that you uh, noticed his presence in the room, right? Like he commanded the room for sure. Did he do that? Was Was there a feeling? And I realize that there's a lot of history to why it happened this way for for Pete. But when he walked in the room, everything changed. Was that with him or was it after the fact that you heard everything that you were like, okay. Uh, it is- really wasn't until he started talking. Okay. Right. So you know just, I mean? let me just set the presence. scene. Yeah, I do. So let me set the scene for you guys. So the 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 meeting, the, the press conference is in their team meeting room. Excuse me. This is the same place that we had Pete's press conference three weeks earlier when he was leaving. We don't, I don't go in there that often. I know that the media does a little bit more like the the beat reporters and stuff when they go to sort of like the weekly press conferences. But I almost never go in there. Um, I probably hadn't been in there in in years for anything because it's just not much of a reason. I'm not over there on a day to day basis like a lot of the reporters are. But um, for big moments, everybody gathers and the media sits up front and then there's a row of cameras Right. So there's like some open space where all of the cameras are there on their big tripods. And then behind the cameras is where all of the uh, assorted staff from the building comes in. Administrative staff, sales, all of those types of people who work in and around the building. They sit in the back, which is actually a, a much larger area than the front area. I assume that when, you know, the team 
gathers in there. Everything looks totally different, but I've never been there when the team is in there. So, um, but it's the same room. It's the same room that the team would would naturally gather in. So a lot that, of people have probably seen it from videos they've put out of yeah. the basketball competitions or uh, when they have that mentalist come in. Yes. Yeah. All the same room. All this. Ah, it's like a big okay. auditorium is kind of what it looks like. That's helpful. With a couple, I don't know, maybe 150, 200 seats, something like that. I don't know. That's sort of my rough guess. Maybe it's even a little more than that. Anyway, so that's where we were, kind of sitting up in the front with the people from the media. Uh, sat with Taylor from our office and Brandon from our office, and we we're just kind of waiting. I got there, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes ahead, and everybody's kind of waiting. There was no music like there was at Pete's press con- at uh, Pete's final press conference. I was wondering if he would have an opening song, and everyone's sort of looking around, waiting for him to come in, and then eventually, you know, you started to see him and John walk down the side and up to the up to uh, up to the stage with Dave Pearson, who was their uh, uh, head of I don't know communications. I think is his is his role, VP of communications, and uh, they get up on stage, took a couple of pictures, and then sat down, and. You know, look, that I think maybe that's why the hoodie thing has kind of been such a immediate, easy thing to catch on to, because it was the first thing you saw as he's walking down the, the aisle. It's like, that guy's wearing a hoodie. <laughs> it's not something you see every day and not a Bill Belichick hoodie, right? It wasn't that style of hoodie. He didn't have the sleeves cut. It didn't look like it was from 1987. It wasn't made by champion. Like it was a Russell athletic. It's not a team issue. No, no. uh, By the way, you guys were debating that. I just saw a video and he's putting it on and it is a Seahawks logo. Is it? Yeah. It has, it had a Seahawks. Where? Like underneath the blazer. Wow. All right. Well, you couldn't see that with the blazer on. All you could see was like it, it looked like a nice, a nicer piece of clothing, but a hoodie nonetheless, sort of thin. And so, yeah, maybe that's why that's sort of the first thing everybody has kind of pointed to. But uh, let me play you some sound. Enough of me kind of babbling about the whole thing. Let me uh, play you some sound that we heard yesterday from Mike McDonald on his defensive philosophy. Here's what he said. We want to play a certain way. In order to do that, you have to be incredibly clear, like I talked about, and the expectations have to be there. And you're just going to chisel away at it every day. And the way we build it is just it's really just a series of concepts that you can master and then you can layer it together. So you're always doing stuff that's in your sweet spot, but it's through the lens of who you're playing and how you're trying to attack that particular team. And what I kind of got out of that was that there's a level or a layer of complexity that he's trying to make simple. And I kind of go through this a little bit more later. Maybe you guys have heard me tell my Bill Belichick story kind of along these lines. I think I told it just a couple of weeks ago because I spent a a year interviewing Belichick once a week. It was hell. It was terrible. It was an awful experience. And I don't recommend it to anybody. But if and when things went awry and he didn't want to talk about his team, which was, you know, all the time, you just ask him about NFL history. And he told this fantastic story about the Dallas defense back in the day before free agency with Tom Landry and how complex it became because it was the same guys there 10, 12 years at a time. They could just build on it year after year after year. And then he went and said, look, that's kind of how the game has changed. And and it's all about how simple you can make it for the guys that you're trying to teach so that they can actually learn it because they may be gone in a year and you got a whole new crop of guys you got to teach it to. So the simplicity of it is important. I got that sense from McDonald yesterday that he is going to certainly have that simplicity factor down to be able to make it very easy for everyone to understand and be on the same page. By the way, something that's been severely lacking for the last couple of years. And I think you're going to hear that as a theme throughout a lot of the conversation regarding things he said yesterday. A lot of his strengths 
were things that were not strengths of Pete Carroll. Doesn't mean that Pete didn't have other strengths that this guy doesn't have, but I think you're going to hear like, oh, man, that's very different from Pete. Oh, that's very different kind of philosophy. Oh, that's a very different way of looking at the world. And uh, that was one that sort of jumped out to me yesterday, that he was so simple. It was so easy to follow him. Guys, I have talked to Pete Carroll almost every week for 14 years. He was not simple and easy to follow. He some was, of that was by design, I think. Some of it is by design, and I'm sure he was easier yeah. for some of the players to follow. But I often think of uh, that when listening to Pete or talking with Pete, I would often think of that line from uh, The Princess Bride where they're going back and forth with the uh, poison, the Iocane powder. <laughs> and he says, truly, you have a dizzying intellect. It's like, yeah, I, sometimes I have no idea what Pete's trying to say. He's just kind of going around in circles. Right. It's like part part truth, but he's still veiling yep. a lot of the <laughs> Exactly. Here's a little bit more on his defense. You're always trying to dictate term as best as you can to the offense. And that's easier said than done because the offense is trying to do the same thing to you. So there's a little bit of a back and forth to that. And I think one of the principles of the organization as I sat in, in Baltimore is we want to be aggressive and we want to be pushing the envelope. And so how do you do that while having being smart with the resources that you're allocating? You know, you want to have maximal return from minimal investment. I mean, it's easy to blitz zero every snap if you want, and you can apply pressure that way, but you can also do it mentally and by how you play and the things you're presenting to the offense because they got a lot of stuff going on over there too. And obviously those guys are pros and there's a lot of great coaches out there, but if you can apply pressure over games, you know, that's, that's hard to, to do consistently for 60 minutes. He just sounds impressive, doesn't he? Like when you hear him talk, you're like, man, this guy just, he knows it. He knows what he's talking about. He's in complete control of what he's trying to say. And uh, I thought that was very, very evident yesterday. Let me keep running through some of these because the offense is probably the thing that everyone is now most interested in, right? We heard a few names yesterday. This guy clearly knows his defense, said he's going to call the defensive plays for a little while at least until whoever else it is is sort of ready and able to get that done. But what about the offense? Here's what he said with Bump and Stacy. We've got some guys that can do a lot of different things. And there's a lot of, I think we have a diverse skill set from going against the offense. I think we just have to do a great job of, again, it's the same mentality that we have on defense. How do we get these guys doing what they do really well and put it in those spots and then trying to dictate terms of the offense? And how we're doing that, I don't know the answer to that, but like that's going to be the driving force of all the decisions that we make from here for as long as we're here. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Got some people and just put them in the right, the right positions places. to succeed. Which he, is what we heard a lot of his former players say. Yeah, he doesn't seem necessarily like he needs to have one style. He he was very, I thought, malleable when it came to that in a good way of saying, look, I don't need a percentage. We don't have to blitz 74% of the time. I don't look at the game that way. Run and pass. I don't care if we run it 40, 50, 60% of the time. There's not a number I'm trying to hit. And in that way, actually, it's funny because there was so much of the word Harbaugh thrown around yesterday for good reason. That's where this guy was trained under the both Harbaugh's. But those elements felt very Bill Belichick to me, not in personality necessarily, although, yes, they do both wear hoodies of various sorts, but more in terms of adapting to whatever is necessary for that day. Okay, so not stubborn, more chameleon. Yeah, and and it's funny. I know Belichick has become kind of a dirty word over the last year or two, and now nobody wants him, and it's a joke, and he's a bad coach, and Brady was everything. Let's hold our horses. Bill Belichick had a pretty good sense as to how to coach a football team and is a defensive genius, the greatest defensive coach of all time. Taking away another team's strength. 
and doing and it, identifying it and taking it away, and doing it differently week to week. Oh, yes. that's what you do. And that's what I'm going to do it differently. Yeah, I, 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 I felt some of that out of him. And by the way, before Bill decided to just stop communicating with any with everybody, he was sort of like this. He he was not ever you know bubbly like Pete, but he was direct. He commanded a room. He was grumpier. It was a, like it was a different look. But I, I don't know. I got a little bit more Belichick vibe probably than any other, you know, big name coach in sitting and, and listening to him uh, and listening, listening to him yesterday. All right. Let me play you some more. Uh, here was John Schneider talking about the questions he had and how uh, Mike McDonald handled them. Yeah, we weren't talking like, you know, schematics and, you know, moving, you know, shifting and how the coaches talk to do the coach speak like this. You know, we didn't even get into that. It was uh, communication, leadership, clarity. Uh I think that's, you know, it jumps off with, with Mike. Uh, I talked to several people that had interviewed him already, and they're like, wait till you look, at, look in this guy's eyes, man. He's, he's, he's there. He's present. He's on it. And, uh, and, and he was, and everybody in that room felt it. You like that? Yes, please. <laughs> they didn't not? talk X's and O's. That's the thing that I was sort of hoping to hear, that he didn't get this job because he's such a brilliant schemer. And I'm sure John went into it saying, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. We know that. We know he can scheme, obviously. Can he lead? Can he build a staff? Can he he devise a way to get my team to the top? Not just with, you know, where he's going to put each player, but in terms of how he's going to lead them there. And uh, obviously the fact that John felt that way and, and spoke about it yesterday, I thought very eloquently, was enormously important. But it maybe goes back a little farther. And this was, of all the things I heard from John yesterday, perhaps the most interesting and important, and I will all but guarantee you, when Brock comes on here in 15 minutes, this will be something that he wants to focus on because I know how important this moment was to Brock back in the day. It's uh, all about who's changing the marketplace. Who's going to change the marketplace? And it just hit me like, okay, when we're interviewing all these people, who's going to change the marketplace? And... uh the product is the product. He's done it. You've seen it. And uh, that's why he was assistant coach of the year. Uh, you know, I've had two really strong feelings leaving Pittsburgh several years ago. Like, we will never, ever look like that again. Um, I think it might have been our first year or second year. I can't remember. It was not, it was not cool. And um, leaving Baltimore this year. And uh, that was not cool. But congratulations. <laughs> That was part of his uh, introduction, uh, and John did speak for a few minutes in introducing him. Brock has referenced that Pittsburgh game, I don't know how many times over the the course of our our tenure together, and that statement from John of like, yeah, we can't look like that ever again. And that moment led to a a full-scale change in the way they went after players. Right, that's why you get Cam Chancellor and Bobby Wagner and all these guys that just go out and freaking hit. They they got bigger, they got more powerful, they got stronger, and they made sure that they never were pushed around like they were that day in Pittsburgh, where where they were. I forget I forget too whether it was his first or second year, but they got their doors blown off. And it wasn't just the score; it was the physical difference between both sides. It looked like men and boys, and I am not surprised that John had a similar feeling. After the Baltimore loss this year, where they didn't manage points, they got pushed around, they got embarrassed. They once again looked like men and boys. 
And Brock brought it up what yesterday that at the time the Seahawks were five and two. And from that moment on, they were basically toast. Yeah, they found some ways to win some games late, mostly against teams that weren't that good, but they weren't very good after that. They were not the same team and they got bullied at times. So am I surprised that after all of that, it wasn't the Niners games. It wasn't the Rams games. It wasn't getting out schemed. Those weren't the things that got John. It was the Baltimore loss. Getting physically beaten and out schemed. And so what did he do? He brought in the guy who was the architect, at least on the defensive side, for doing that. And if you can't have the head coach, in this case, bring in somebody from that tree who can try to bring the same amount of toughness, the same physicality, that same level of dominance, and yes, some of that same scheme and and mental prowess here to Seattle. So when he met Mike McDonald, and it sure sounds like that was an important thing for him to do, although he didn't was not exactly clear on whether or not he would have waited two more weeks for the Super Bowl to be over if if Baltimore had won. He did not say that. He kind of was like, eh, we'll see. I don't know. Didn't happen. So I don't, I don't have, have to, to tell you. About it. I don't yeah. have to worry about that. And you don't ever have to ask. I him. wonder if things would have been different or if yeah. he would have at some point said, you know what? I'm just so committed. This is the right guy. And we just have to wait for the Super Bowl to be over. But, um, you know, I, I do think that ever since that moment, John probably was thinking to himself, if Pete isn't back, this is this is a direction I would want to go. And if Pete is back, mm-hmm. we need some coordinators like yeah. that. And games like that probably make you have to have a lot of tough conversations with your staff, with mm-hmm. your players. And that was one of the things I asked KJ a few weeks ago. Of like, what was it that Pete didn't do well enough or something to that effect, right? Like, what do you want the new coach to do that Pete couldn't? And there was that answer of essentially being a disciplinarian. Did you get a sense from Mike McDonald that he could be that guy? Uh, yeah. Okay. He seemed like somebody you wouldn't want to disappoint. Yeah, because he said Pete didn't like to have those one-on-one hard conversations. He, he did not seem like somebody you would want to disappoint. <laughs> Good answer. He seemed like somebody who'd be like, well, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You're like, oh, jeez. I'm not going to say much. I'm going to mess with this. I liked when he said, they, yeah, we can't have independent contractors. Yeah. But that's why it's important for us to teach the players the how and the why. Yeah. So they know what we're asking of them. Yep. 360 here says, honestly, Salk, McDonald sounds like Schneider. Very similar personalities and temperament. I didn't see that at all. Hmm. I did not believe uh, that is not what I saw. They maybe sounded somewhat similar. Maybe. maybe, But I I would not say. uh, John feels. um, John has a lot more to say. This guy's really, I think, I don't think he naturally. I understand why the word introverted came out. Uh, Introverted is such a. Such a loaded word in today's society that I think it's hard to use it to describe him. But I absolutely understand why your guest did. He he doesn't seem like somebody who wants to be out there talking just for the sake of talking. He is, I won't say a man of few words, but I think I would say someone who chooses his words carefully and, and draws some of his power, again, from the from what he's not saying, in addition to what he's saying, yeah, I said that in the email last night. He said very intentional, calculated, yes. mm-hmm. and doesn't need to. Yeah, he doesn't need to fill the room with more words because no. he's going to say what he needs to say, and that's it. Very, very different. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get the sense he was similar to John Schneider, but I did get the sense that those two guys could work together very well, 
and that they would be enough aligned in terms of football philosophy. And it did feel, I mean, John almost felt a little bit like a proud papa yesterday. Like, yeah, for years, I was sort of the guy that Pete was patting on the head. And now I have the opportunity to be the proud papa and to bring in the guy that I want and to be older and to be wiser. Yeah, somebody who doesn't have 30 years of experience That's that, right. is, that I don't have with him. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that was, I thought, a, a very, very evident in being in that room yesterday. So, I don't know, that, those are some of my takeaways from being there. Brock and I will spend much of the next three hours discussing him, discussing it. Uh, certainly, uh, we'll take some breaks in there and we'll talk to Jed fish at eight o'clock, a little over an hour from now. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys as well at nine 30 and kind of get some of your thoughts on what you've heard, but it was a good day yesterday. I, I really, I really believe it was a good day for the Seattle Seahawks yesterday. Justin, you pointed out that, uh, sports illustrated ranked it at, or whatever's left of sports illustrated yeah. ranked, uh, six, him as the, what six out of eight mm-hmm. in terms of the head coaching hires. I understand that. I I think I understand why that would come. He was the seventh one hired, right? I mean, if the other teams had wanted him, they could have made him offers. And as far as we know, nobody else did. So I think I understand that. There's a lot unproven there that maybe some of the other coaches have done more to prove. But he doesn't need to be the best hire. He needs to be the best hire here. He needs to be the best hire for the Seahawks. And I thought that yesterday was a really good step to showing he's not going to be Pete Carroll, but he can try to fill that position without filling the shoes. And it felt like many of the things that were said and done yesterday were, even if they weren't intentionally done that way, managed to really prove that point and hammer it home over the course of half hour, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. We got a whole lot more time, a lot more to discuss today. Brock's going to be in next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.